So we are in this series, Listen, Learn, and Live for the Father, and one of the key verses is, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I want to start with a video. It's a little bit long, but I love this video, and I hope that it speaks to you. Welcome to church. Welcome to the undying body of the ever-living Son, where God's promises and God's people are radically made one. Welcome to the romance of the world, the marriage ceremony of Christ, where God is betrothed to man by proposing with his life. Welcome to the only place where the unholy can meet holiness and yet holy still survives. Welcome to the only place that you can walk in dead and yet come out alive. Welcome to this place, this place, whether on pews or chairs, in walls or air, under steeples or stairs, by thousands or in pairs, this place, this place is legendary, holy, ancient, modern, famous, hated, living, vibrant, ageless, not because of a location, not because there are cars parked on the pavement, not because you made a sign and named it. This place is an amazement because of the one who creates it. Welcome to the place where individuals are shaped into a larger whole, where bread and wine feed our hearts and intoxicate our souls, where race, money, and power no longer have a role, where the outcast, impoverished, and broken come to be consoled. Welcome to our home, the bride of Christ on a reckless search. Welcome to life. Welcome to church. Well, I believe in that kind of church, don't you? So here's my question. Why doesn't it work better? If really this was true all the time, we wouldn't be able to hold the crowds. If this was true all the time, we wouldn't be growing by addition, we'd be growing by multiplication. And so I just asked the question. And as I pondered it, I just... I'm not sure I have the answer, but I think I've discovered the sin of the age. Aside from being an interim pastor, I do spend a lot of time with pastors themselves. Pastors call it, I'm glad to be, I'm glad that they call the old guy, to be honest with you. It's an honor to spend life with pastors. And, and, and it's interesting. So a pastor called me just recently, and he's gone to a young community, and uh, he's gone to a smaller community, sorry. And, and it's interesting that they serve incredibly well among one another. It's amazing but nobody touches the community. And they're willing to let him do it, <laughs> but they're not really willing to join him in the search. I, um, I talked to another pastor just recently, and they have a, a staff member that's so talented and so gifted and so self-centered <laughs> that every week there's another issue that you're holding hands and See, I'm so thankful for the staff of this church. I believe staff should lift your load, not make it bigger. And the staff of this church do that. But in this case, that's not true. I have another pastor that called me that this church is plateaued. It's not going anywhere. And, and they need to make some radical changes. Need to add some surgery to it to make it vibrant and alive. It's settled. It's comfortable. Again, I'm not talking about you at all. 
But, you see, I, I remember I was in somewhere, Cleveland, Tennessee, I think, and I saw a bumper sticker in the back of a van that just so impressed me, I've never forgotten. It says this, nothing changes if nothing changes. So if it's not working, we need to have some change. And there's resistance, in fact, strong resistance to any kind of change at all. And then I, I got a call from a pastor who's struggling with inadequate resources. And another pastor is called, he's worn out, he's burned out, he's fried. He doesn't know where to go. And here's what happens when that happens. You get distracted from the mission. So, so many pastors' lives and hours are spent doing other things other than what they're really called to do, which is to lead the church into mission. And then I wonder about us, what's in our hearts? What keeps us from the mission of the church? What keeps us from being missional in our personal lives? Is it family issues or health issues or work issues? Is it money? Maybe it's the church itself. And I believe that distraction is the sin of the age. And this is not working, Bobby. What are we going to do here? Can you help me with this? Sorry, I, I depended on... Oh, there we go. Oh, okay, you're going to fix that for me? You're wonderful. Thank you. I can catch it up, believe me. So I, I do believe that distraction robs us of God's best. And part of the challenge of that is it robs us of God's best in our own lives as well as in the church. And so somehow those things all get combined. I don't know if this was good news or bad news, but I discovered that we're not the first time this has ever happened. It happened in the time of Jesus as well. It happened in the Old Testament as well. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the Old Testament there are a number of... Thank you very much. There are a number of laws in the Old Testament, and no, we don't have it working. Is it working here? No. I'm so sorry. You got, you got Carter back there. He'll follow you. Okay, great. Let's try and see what we can do. So in the Old Testament, see, this was, this was common because in the Old Testament, we actually have 613 laws. Think of it now. 613 of them. And there were two schools of thought. One of the schools of thought was you actually have to keep all of them all the time for God to be pleased with you. But there was another school of thought that said, I wonder if there's just one or two of them. If we could just keep those one or two, that maybe that would be enough. Maybe that would work. Maybe, maybe that would be better than all 613. And they were distracted by that all the time. It was a major issue. Are we trying it again? I apologize. So, so this is the mission. We're just, oh, let me just get to the place. Here we go. You ready? Here we tore. There we go. What is, so this person came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? So this is the person trying to sort out, is it one or two laws or is it 613 of them? And of course he comes to Jesus and here's the story. We call it the great commandment. Look what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, something he taught. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? In other words, do we have to keep all 613, or are there just one or two? And Jesus answered him and said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Out of Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is out of Leviticus. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Let's pray. God, 
I pray you would help us with this message today. It's so easy to be distracted as a church, as leaders, as people, from what's really important, the most important thing. And God, as much as we want to serve you, and we do, we know that all of us can live in that world. I pray you would help us today to learn to please you, Father, and live life differently. Amen. So the greatest sin... I may sound disjointed, but I am getting there. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about what's the greatest sin? We talked about sin last week quite a bit. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered what might be the greatest sin? Is it murder? Racism? Abuse? I was in Rwanda shortly after the genocide. Believe me, that was one of the image I'll never get out of my mind as I saw the results of that. We're not the only people that wonder about it. Mahatma Gandhi, who was an Indian leader, he wondered what it was. He actually talks about the seven greatest sins, seven deadly sins. And I really like one of them. I like all of them. I don't like any of them. You know what I mean? Wealth without work, he considered that a sin. Pleasure without conscience. Knowledge without character. Business without morality. Science without humanity. Politics without principle. You ready for this? Worship without sacrifice. Is it really worship if there's no sacrifice? Hmm. What's the greatest sin? And whatever the sins are, we get so easily distracted from what the kingdom says. We get easily distracted from the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And hear my heart, folks. It's one thing to get distracted from the church. It's one thing to get distracted from the mission of the church. It's another thing to get distracted from God. And I do believe at the heart of all the distraction the church faces these days is a core fundamental distraction that we have been distracted from our relationship with the living God. So many things can distract us. So many things can take us away. And so I have a suggestion for you. Here it is. You ready? Maybe the greatest sin is not murder. Maybe the greatest sin is not abuse. As bad as they are, as awful as they are. Maybe the greatest sin is not following the greatest commandment. Maybe the greatest sin for the child of God, thank God for parental forgiveness, but maybe the greatest sin for the child of God is not loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. Maybe the greatest sin is not something we do. Maybe it's something we don't do. Maybe. Will you give me that argument? Will you allow me that argument? Hmm. And I don't know about you, but I discovered and I'm distracted by all kinds of things. I must confess, I love life. I, uh, I'm so glad to, people ask me all the time, how are you? And I have a standard answer, if I was any better, I'd be in heaven. Life is terrific, I'm happy. I get aches and pains, I'm just old like other people. I can't see without glasses, I can't hardly hear without help. And I have aches and pains, but I get up every morning and I'm alive and I know who I am and where I am. That's not a bad way to start a day. I have lots of things in my life I love. And all of them can be distractions. I made a little list of some things. I don't know if you'll appreciate this or not. I love children, puppies, kittens, and chocolate. 
I love romantic dinners, boat rides, long walks, and anything with chocolate. I love my kids. I really love their kids. All the grandparents said. Amen. Let me start again. I love my kids. I really love their kids, and that's why I give them chocolate. I love a good book, a great meal, friends, a party, sports, football, baseball, basketball, tennis, and golf. I'm not Canadian. I don't follow hockey. Although all the Canadians showed up last week in this church. Did you notice that? It's amazing. I love Jeopardy and the outdoors and chocolate. I love peanuts, cashews, almonds, pistachios, pecans, brazils. You don't get a body like this without working at it. And especially if they're covered with chocolate. I love to cook, learn new things, discover new ideas, fix problems, save money in anything, chocolate. I love politics, a good debate, great teachers, wonderful co-workers, and chocolate. I love students, young leaders, good music, creativity, activity, young couples who fall in love, young couples who fall out of love, and really good chocolate. I love health, strength, thinking, feeling, breathing, and chocolate. Actually, the real love of my life is not chocolate. The real love of my life is this little decided blonde. When she turned 30, she decided to be blonde. We've been, I've been loved her, for, married 54 years and loved her for 56 years, long time. Here's the problem. It's so easy to get distracted by the issues of life and the things we love from the things that God wants from us. Oh, by the way, I thought I should show you this wife cartoon. If I had a dime for every time I've lost my cell phone, there'd be a jar full of money I would also have to look for. <laughs> I hope you don't mind a little humor that describes my wife to a T. I spend hours of my day phoning her phone so she can find it. <laughs> she doesn't mind me teasing her. She's got 54 years of experience. So what distracts us? See, it's so easy to love other things instead of God, isn't it? And it's so easy to love other things as much as God. And it's so easy to love other things along with God. And it's so easy to fail to take our love for him seriously. Even in the church, even as, um, even as believers. There was a church in England that focused on worship. In fact, the worship was so strong, they wrote lots of worship songs. And we were singing their worship songs all around the country, and I don't remember any of them at the moment because I'm not terribly musical. But the pastor of that church, who was one of the worship leaders and one of the worship writers, came to them one Sunday morning and he said, you know, we have fallen in love with worship in our church to the point that we're more interested in worship than the God we're worshiping. And they went six months without singing a song of worship because they wanted to get the attention back on God. And I say to God, God, how do we need to change? What do we need to do to get the attention back on you? What do we need to do to live the great commandment that we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength? Because to not do that robs us of God's best. And when the core is flawed, when the core is broken, then the rest of our life is distracted from the mission of God and the purpose of God and the heart of God for our church and our community. That's the truth. God, how do, we, how do we fix that? What do we, what do, we do? How do we, 
And God gives us a bit of an answer, the sin of destruction that destroys us. What is God's answer is really? It's a little three-word, three-letter word named all. You notice what it says in the Scripture? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. It's really an all-inclusive affection. There's no part of our lives God is not trying to reach. There's no part of our lives God is not stepping into and speaking to us. And so he says, listen, with all of your heart. That's an amazing, folks. The heart is the hub of a person's existence. It's that part of him that fills your mind, thoughts, words, and deeds, and actions, and life. It's the heart of life. And God says, with your heart, I want you to love me with perfect sincerity. Be serious about it. Be real about it. Be intentional about it. Be passionate about it with sincerity. That's what it means, with all your heart. And then with all your soul. Well, that's the center of a person's emotional activity. And and God's saying this. I want you to love me with utmost fervor. That's one of the reasons why we clap once in a while. It's why we laugh a little once in a while. It's why we raise hands. It's why we close our eyes. There's an emotion involved. It's not wrong to do those things. It's not wrong if you're not comfortable doing them. But there's some measure in our souls that we ought to respond to God and worship Him with fervor. And then we love Him with all of our mind. That's the ability to reason. We ought to take the thought process. This is more than just feelings. This is based on facts and truth. And it guides our desires and our attitudes. We ought to love them with the fullest exercise of an enlightened mind. Come now, let us reason together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then we love them with all of our strength. This is the entire energy of our being. That's what God's asking of us. That's how you keep the core strong. That's that's how you're not distracted by the issues of life and God. That's how it works. And so here's this whole thing, the heart and the soul and the mind and strength cooperate and join together in loving God. And here's the problem, folks. This is not a suggestion. This is not a good idea. This is a command. The scriptures are full of opportunities where God wants us to know how much he loves us, and he does. He loves you beyond measure. He loves you more than you love you. He loves you more than anybody else loves you, and he will love you forever. But in this moment, if we really want to be in the fullness of who God is for the Father, We obey his command. We are commanded to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Your whole being is involved. Folks, listen. God's wholehearted affection must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. You remember when God loves? Listen. He loves the world. When he gives, he gives his son. When he saves us, he saves us to the uttermost. When God promises, it is yes and amen. When God plans, it is always perfection. When God prepares eternity for those who love him, it is beyond imagination. 
And God is saying to us, when we love, it ought to encompass everything about us. As much as we know how to give. And when we don't love him like that, it opens the doors for other distractions. See, we talked about the greatest sin, I think, is not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the greatest distraction keeps us from doing that. We're supposed to love the Lord our God. This one thing is necessary. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? Do you remember that story in the New Testament? Mary and Martha are sisters, and Jesus comes to visit them. He's a family friend. And he has, starts to have a little talk with people. People gathered around. He's telling the stories of the kingdom. And Martha's in the house making peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And she looks out the window in the kitchen where she's working. Maybe it was bologna and pickle. I'm not sure. She looks out the window and she sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she thinks, isn't that nice? And then she thinks, isn't that not nice? And she gets so dis- upset with Mary because she's in doing all the work. And so she storms out of the house and slams the screen door. Marches over to Jesus. Says, don't you care that I'm in the house doing all the work for all your guests? And Jesus says, you missed the point, Martha. You're worried and cumbered about so many things. Mary has chosen the better thing. It doesn't mean the work doesn't have to get done, friends. But it does mean there are moments we should just sit at the feet of Jesus and love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. The God who loves us should become our number one attraction, the Lord who is our God. I think the greatest sin is not making God our number one attraction. I, uh, I ran across this country song a few years ago. I'm not a big music person. I'm not a big country music fan. And I'm apologizing for sharing it with you today, but I think it makes a point I wanted to share with you. It's a song by Tom T. Hall called I Love. Are you ready? It's too late. It's already in the process. <laughs> Ducks, old pickup trucks, slow moving trains and rain. I love little country streams, sleep without dreams, Sunday school in May and hay. Thank you. 
Apples from a child Tomatoes on the vine And onions I love winners when they cry Losers when they cry Music when it's good And life That's the problem, and I don't have anything now. Oh, here we go. And that's the problem. We love God, too. It's the point of the song. He loves his wife, too. We love God, too. And God is asking us to love him, commanding us to love him first, ahead of anything else we love, most, more than anything else we love, and best to the best of our ability, we love God. And when you love him, not two, but first and most and best, when you do that, then you love the greatest person that ever lived on earth. And you love his Father. You love the Spirit. You love God. The greatest person. And we declare to him, I love you, Lord. And, and hear my heart, the more we learn to love him, the more we want to love him. And the more we want to love him, the more we learn to love him. I went to pastor in Sarnia, Ontario, <clears throat> way back in 1985. And when I got there, great church, 500 people, and God allowed us to grow it to about seven. We had a, we had a young man in our church named Daryl who was handicapped. He was Downs. And for some reason, Daryl took a liking to me, and he was into physical fitness as well, and he used to hug me every Sunday and pretty near break my ribs. He would hug me so tight. And I remember being in a season of prayer, and God said to me, the measure of your success in this church will not be, not be how many people come. It will not be whatever crowds there are. It will not be the accolades if you get any. The measure of your ministry in this church will be how much Daryl loves you and how much you love him. I love Daryl. I've been back a few times. I left in 90. You know, I asked this over 30 years ago. They've invited me back a few times, and every time I go back, I love the crowd, I love the people. But I look for Daryl. And God's saying to us, would you love me more than you love anybody else? Your spouse, your children, your, would you just love me? Because the more you love me, the richer you will be in my grace. I wonder if you do something for me. Would you do just a little thing? Would you just close your eyes and listen for a minute? 30 seconds. Okay, you can open them. I don't know if you heard the machinery running. There's a bit of a fan running in the background. It might have distracted you. But in your chest, 
but the size of a fist on just on the left side a little bit is a machine that really runs amazing. It will actually beat 100,000 times today. It's called your heart. It will beat in a year 36,500,000 times. And in a lifetime of 70 years, it will actually beat 2,555,000,000 times. I ask you a question. Is your heart beating for God? Listen to your soul. How is your heart beating for your life and health? Is our heart beating for God? Listen. Listen. Do you live in pursuit of him? Learn. Love him first, most, and best. Live, live in obedience to his command. It is the best for the Father. He, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the God. If we say to him today, God, I don't love you first, I don't love you most, and I don't love you best all the time, but I want to. I want you to help me. At that moment, that becomes confession. At that moment, becomes repentance. At that moment, becomes forgiveness. At that moment, becomes welcome from God, the Father who wants what's best for us, which is the best of him, and the core of our being comes alive in God. And the other distractions become less because we have someone to live for, someone who lives in us, someone who loves us, and someone we love first, most, and best. This is for the Father, friends. This is God's plan for us. He's your father. We are his children. He already loves you, and he wants you to come. He wants you to listen. Oh, I don't know why that came back up there. He wants you to listen to his command. Would you pray with me? God, I, I, um, I don't know if I've done well. There's been some distractions. I just know how important this truth, maybe that's why there have been some, I just know how important this truth is in my own soul. I know how important this is for us. All of us get distracted in life, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's normal. But God, sometimes the distractions of life, and as a church and as leaders, distract us from the mission. And that's so significant. But more than that, sometimes the distractions distract us from you. And we do love you, but we love you too. And God, you're asking us today to love you first, most, and best. And at the core of our being, when we say to you, God, help me to love you that way. God, I, I don't always do it well, but I want to. That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for desire. He's looking for your heart to beat after him and say, God, I want my heart to beat for you. I, I want to be in pursuit of you. That's all he's asking. And we respond with yes. He forgives us of the distractions. And he invites us into his own heart. Or we are his children and he calls us. We call him Abba Father. If you're here today and you've loved him for a long time and known him for a long time and you just want to say, look, you know, God, I've been a little distracted lately. I really want to love you first and most and best. I don't want to just love you too. 
If you're here today and you never even realized that God loves you, but to be loved that much by a God that he would send a son, you would like to love him. You'd like to learn to love him. God's inviting you to love him, not just two, but first, most, and best. If we want our church to be more missional, and really it starts in the core of our being where we love you first, most, and best. If we want our lives to be better and richer in our family and our jobs and our finances, so easy to be distracted by those things. So we hardly have time to love you. God, we declare to you today, we really want to love you. We know that when we make you first, most, and best, those things have a way of sorting out beyond our ability or understanding or even imagination. God, you're asking us today. You're welcoming us. You're commanding us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. To love you first, most, and best. If you're here today and you'd like to love God that way, whether you do or not, whether you're good at it or not, whether you're bad at it or not, it doesn't matter. If you're here today and that's how you'd like to love God, first, most, and best, would you stand and sing this song with us? If you want to love God first, most, and best.
just in this moment. Hey, we lay all of these distractions beside us in this moment. We are speaking to you. Our attention is on you. Our focus is on you. And as we say that we love you in this moment, we are saying we love you first and we love you best and we love you most. Spirit, would you fill us? Would you keep us focused on the mission? Would we keep coming back to you in moments of distraction? Would you guide our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet as we, we get busy so that we are just following you best and first and most? I pray as even just Calvary Church as a whole, would we have you in our mind as we make decisions, as we lead, as we go along, as we, as we create programs and things like that, would we have you in mind first and best and most? Would, would it be for our love for you first and best and most? May we have surrendering moments like this often. And so as we go into these next moments, would we just be guided by your spirit? Would we have you in mind as we love our kids and our neighbors and, and our friends? Would it be guided by your love first? And so again, God, we surrender ourselves to you. Just in a moment on a Sunday morning in our lives, may this be a, may this be a pivotal moment moving us forward individually and, and as a church to love you first and best and most. So God, we thank you and we love you. And we all said, amen. For those who may need it, we're going to continue on in some worship. If you want to feel like you need to create more of that time to just maybe be distraction-free, um, we'll just continue on in worship here. Um, but as you go out, there's a couple of things I just want to make you aware of. Even as, as Pastor Bill was talking about it, there's maybe even a specific thing that we can do with our actions. Uh, loads of loves. Glenda's going to be in the lobby out there. We have an opportunity to make sandwiches that are given out daily to those that are in need here in Peterborough. And, and so she'll give you some information on that out in the lobby if you want to see Glenda. Maybe sign up. I know our, uh, me and my kids... Um, we're we're going to pick a date and we're going to try and do that as well so that we can have our love for God just practically even flowing through us. For those of you looking to connect in small groups, all of our meetups are out there as well. Look at one, pick one, maybe choose one for the next four, six, eight, ten weeks, depending on the group, to just get connected, to, to be more known, to uh, dive deeper into Scripture, to meet with those that are in similar phases of life, to just become friends around some interest-based ones. It's just so important to the life here. And for those that want to just stay and maybe worship for a bit, feel free. We're going to turn this place into more of a sanctuary. And if you want to connect with those, you can kind of go outside the auditorium. But I want you to leave knowing that you have taken time to say to God, not just with your words, but even with your actions. God, I'm, I'm pushing out some distractions. I'm going to make some mental notes. I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait. I'm going to meditate on your words. Um, I'm going to listen for your voice. We can take some time to do that as well. But for those that want to go, you can pick up your kids or you can go um, talk with Glenda or look at some small groups. Thank you for joining us today at Calvary. We are so glad that you joined with us. If you're new, you can, you can uh, talk with Pastor Kathleen as well for that new to Calvary class. We love you. I, I pray that God's love would be just moved throughout you through this week. Um, happy Sunday.